Jeff Dixon, and I'm the pastor of Word of Life Miami here in Miami, Oklahoma. And I want you to think today as you listen to this podcast about how you express yourself in worship. And imagine maybe that that is a conditioned response that you've learned through culture and uh, through upbringing, but maybe there is this internal part of you, almost an instinctual thing that within you cries out to worship and express yourself to your God. Listen to this message, allow it to challenge you in your expression of worship to God, and maybe in this you'll find a new way to express how much you really love your King. We, we just finished talking for a couple of weeks about the importance of needing a Holy Spirit-filled life, and uh, um, I really wanted to challenge all of us in our expression in worship, myself included. And the the idea, this thought came to my mind that said, are we worshiping out of a trained response or out of an instinct that God put within us? Think about that for a minute. So, I remember studying psychology, taking some psych classes, and having to drop them before the grade counted. Now, I'm not recommending for those soon-to-be college-bound people, Andrew, but I had to drop a class or two so that those bad grades didn't show up on my transcript. Um, Psychology was one, accounting was another. Sorry, Dad, but... Uh, accounting and psychology, but there's this this thing that you learn in psychology about trained response. I think there's this, is it Pavlov's dog or something like that, where you probably know more about that than I should have studied it before I used it as an illustration today. But, um, or is it the mouse and the cheese or something, the conditioning, things like that. Um, I know that if I beat my child, no, I don't beat my child, but if I we can train my dog. We'll go to my dog. That when you potty train a dog, you ha- can condition it not to go inside, but go outside, right? There's some conditionings. Now, think about when you, have you ever been around an animal that had been been beaten, abused, and it was skittish and, and didn't like to be around, let's say, uh, let's say a, a male in its life was the one that did all the beating and it wouldn't go around men, right, or was afraid of men. That's a trained condition, a conditioned response. And I think that sometimes when it comes to worship, there's a conditioned response that goes with that. Um, we worship certain ways. We've seen the, is it uh, the, who's the comedian, the funny Christian comedian? No. He has the worship styles, you know, the carry the TV Tim Hawkins, right? We've seen, sorry, I'm really botching it this morning. Um, we've seen different trained responses, and it fer- varies to the different churches that we've been around. You go to a mainline Pentecostal church, you remember the times when people would just take off running off of the platform and screaming, right? We've seen uh, the, I grew up in, in a, back in the 90s where we would do the charismatic, you know, two-step, right? Uh, so we've got, these trained responses in worship, and I think we're all there. You know, this song hits me just right, and I'm going to lift my hands, but just barely, 
just to show that I'm enjoying it. But if, man, the song's really good. They're both going up, and I might just do something like this, right? So we've got these trained responses. And I, I, I just want us to be challenged in our worship that maybe there's this internal, more guttural or deeper, intense desire within us to cry out to our king through worship. And maybe it would affect our expression a little bit. Maybe it wouldn't be so much about this song is how I worship God and this time I'm going to kneel this time. But what if we just find ourselves genuinely expressing ourselves in love to our God? We had a significant other, boyfriend, girlfriend. I have a wife in the room. And man, I don't have to have a trained response to express how I love her. There's just this natural expression of love to my wife. Well, what is our natural expression of love to our king? So this is what I want to talk about. And our series, we're going to do this for a few weeks. This week, starting the series, we're going to call it Rewired Worship. Rewired Worship. Kind of retraining our thought processes as to what worship is. And we're going to look at the precedent that is set today. And before we look at that, um, this idea of God putting an instinctual form of worship and wants us to move in that form of worship has to go back to something. And I was thinking of some scriptural context. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah 55, 1 through 13. This isn't going to be on the screen. Some scriptures will be, but this one's not. Isaiah 55, 1 through 13. If you're in your Bibles on your apps, I like, you know, the ESV translation. Verse 50, uh, chapter 55, verse 1 says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without a price. I love this picture that we've got here because we're setting the stage. As we come into worship, there's this coming, drawing, this God in heaven that's saying, as you enter in, there's a uh, an invitation to come and experience something. As we come into worship, we don't come... To receive nothing. That's the great thing. Now, worship is this bowing down, this prostrate before God, this, this, yeah, I did put an R in there, praise the Lord. This, this giving of ourselves and adoration, lifting up. But I love that it's not one-sided and it's not an empty-handed receipt from Him. But there is this, as we come to Him in worship, if we come empty, we will be filled. If we come hungry, we will be filled. There's this exchange that happens in worship and we can... We can, we can, in a sense, in our worship, we're buying something, and, and that's a wonderful thing. In verse 2, it says, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which is not, that does not satisfy? I love that when we get into a great encounter with the presence of God, there is a satisfying that takes place. Have you ever been in that place where just it's the most satisfying thing? Have you been in a worship encounter where at the end of it you're like, it's like you can just breathe like you didn't beforehand. It's a satisfying breath that takes place. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. What a neat thing. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. I love, I come alive in worship. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people's. I love David as an example. We're going to look at him as an example through this series, as a one that set the style, so to speak, of how we worship God. Behold, you shall you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you, and you shall 
know you shall run to you because the Lord your God, because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Look at this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Verse six. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that which he have, that which he may have compassion on him and our God and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And I love that when we get into his presence, just kind of some overall thoughts here. When we get into his presence, he has a way of, there's this exchange of thoughts that take place. When we really get into the presence of God, it's like this, this our fleshly thoughts begin to fade away and he begins to renew our mind. He begins to put his thoughts that are not our thoughts in our minds and we begin to see things in a new light. I love that. For the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but the water but water the earth making it bring forth and sprout giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater so shall my word be that goes out of the mouth and it shall not return to me empty but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it for you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace to the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And listen to this. And the trees of the fields will clap their hands. There's this almost this this instinctual expression even upon the earth to rejoice and praise the creator. And if the trees can clap their hands, so shall we be able to rejoice and give some form of expression in worship to our God. Instead of the thorn shall come the cypress, instead of the briar shall come the myrtle, instead of the, uh, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall come, excuse me, that shall not be cut off. That's that old cold thing. I have to make weird noises. Ear itches. An everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. I love this. There's this great exchange. And when we enter his presence, we don't enter into thorns. We enter into the cypress. We don't have briars, but myrtle. It shall make a name for the Lord. I'm telling you, when we truly encounter this corporate expression of worship that I'm going to describe in this place today. There's going to be people that will experience the presence of God alongside us that will come to know the name of the Lord. It shall make the name for the Lord and there will be a a sign and we cannot be cut off. I love that. So the trees of the field, this expression, this instinctive innate need for us to be able to worship our king. And then looking over in Luke chapter 19. This is the triumphal entry. This is when uh, Jesus rides in on the donkey. We've grown up in Sunday school, possibly, or as a young kid in church, learning of this on Palm Sunday. Luke 19, 35 through 40. And they brought it to Jesus. This is the donkey. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, or the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the ground. And as he was drawn near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude on this of his disciples began to rejoice and praise with a loud voice for the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise in heaven and glory in the high peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This is a declarative type of praise going on. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones 
would cry out. Another description of, of the, the, the earth, the, the nature, declaring God's goodness, beginning to cry out. And I'm telling you, there's another need for this instinctual. There's got to be something within us that instinctually praises God, that it doesn't have to be taught. It just comes out naturally. Are you following me? So let's look at David. I love to look at David because before David, we had a Moses example of worship. And going back to Moses, the example of worship was through offerings and sacrifices and feasts. And that's how they worshiped God in the Old Testament before David. And it wasn't it wasn't so much about uh, giving oneself up. It was about ritual and and it was about works and it. And it really, um, man, they ate a lot and they had to offer a lot of sacrifice, but there wasn't a great personal expression of love towards God. And along came David, and we we see this story of David realizing that the ark, which housed the presence of God, needed to be in its rightful place. And he began to set forth and put things in motion and bring the ark of God into the right place. And in 2 Samuel 6, 1 through 20, it says, David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. That's a lot of people. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, and bringing up from them the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, which sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, of Abinadab which was on the hill. And Yuza and Ohio, not the state, the sons of Abinadab were driving the cart, the new cart. And with the ark of God, and Ohio went before the ark, and David and the house of Israel were, listen to this, they were celebrating before the Lord, how? With songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. So there was, there was this expressive musical celebration before the Lord. And it says they came to the threshing floor at Nacon, and Yuzah put, and Yuzah put his hand on the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen had stumbled. They went to, to fix or to, to catch the presence of God that was about to stumble. And, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Yuzah. And God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there because of the ark. There was this lack of reverence for the presence of God that we're not going to get into today. In verse 8, and David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Yuzah. And that place is called Perez Yuzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? There was this fear of the presence of God. So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into this city of David. And he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remains in the house of Obed-Edom in the, in the, the Gittite three months. And listen to what happens when the very manifest presence of God is resting where it should be. When we have the presence of God take residence within our lives and the Lord bless Obed-Edom and all of his household. Isn't that interesting? The, the significance that's placed on housing the presence of God. There's a blessing that comes upon it. And it was told of King David, The and it was told King David, and it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went up and brought, went and brought the ark, brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David. Listen, here's another descriptive word of worship with rejoicing. And then those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps. He sacrificed an ox and a fatted animal. And David 
danced, another description, danced before the Lord with all of his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel bought up the ark of the Lord with shouting with the sound of the horn. More description. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, or Michal, however you want to say it, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place. Realize here, David didn't wasn't acting in any kind of written ritualistic type of worship. There had been no precedent set before. There was no one saying this is how you worship. He was just so full of joy and excited about what God was doing that he could not help but find some form of expression. What did he do? He danced crazily with undignified, unrestrained uh, expression before the Lord. And in verse 17, they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord, another type of worship. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins. Ugh. To each one. Then the people departed and each to his house, and David returned to bless his household. So, the first point that I want to make about worship and this, this untrained, but this, this expression that just has to come from our uh, internal being, this, this, this um, instinctual type of worship is so important to me is worship is expressive. Worship is expressive. It's, not, it's, it's something that cannot be done just by internalizing and just staying put. It has to become an outward expression of what we do. In this passage of Scripture that I just read, here we have examples where they ate. There was an expression. That's why I love to get together as a church and eat and express through food. There was singing. There was instrument playing. There was dancing. There were sacrifices being made. Now, I'm not suggesting that we bring a fatted animal in here and sacrifice it before the Lord. But I'm going to tell you today, as we gather in this place, we become a living sacrifice before the Lord. Sometimes it's a sacrifice when we come in and just decide to put off the, the cares of the world. We It becomes a sacrifice when we put aside everything that's been bothering us and we just express ourselves to him. Sometimes that's a sacrifice. Sometimes it's a sacrifice because we have to put off in our mind what we think other people are going to think of how we're expressing ourselves. That can be a sacrifice that we offer in our love and our expression to God. But we've got to understand point number one, that worship is definitely expressive. Worship is something that is, I hate to say it this way, but it's seen. When we are truly involved and engaged in this mad love for our king and worship, people will see it. It has to be seen. Not because we're showing off, but because people just will see. When you are madly in love with someone, can you hide it? No. When you are madly in love with our king, is there any way that we can hide it? There's no way. It has to just automatically come from us. It is seen, it is experienced, and it is known. Amen? Point number two, uh, 1 Corinthians, no, Chronicles 25.1. David and the chief priests of the service also set apart for the service of the sons of Asaph. And hey man, hey man, what's up? How's it going? And I love these Bible names. Hey, next time you, uh, we have a kid, which is not going to happen. We're going to have a Jedithan. Jedithan. 
and of Jedithan who prophesied with lyres and with harps and with cymbals, the list of those who did the work and of their duties. The second act of worship, it is prophetic. I love when we get together and we find the prophetic voice of God. This word is nabah. Nabah, it's a primitive root of prophecy. That is, it's to speak or sing by inspiration. That doesn't mean that in this prophetic expression of who God is, that we get up and we begin to foretell what is going to happen. But it means that we sing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is where songs begin to be birthed in this place that were never written uh, by someone else. It becomes the expression of where we are feeling and the Holy Spirit singing through us. This is an awesome thing. Song 85, Psalm 85, 8 says, Let me hear what God the Lord will speak. This is a slide. For he will speak. This word speak is to prophesy. This is this Nabal. Peace is people to the saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Now, Remember, if you will, several weeks ago, if it wasn't a couple of months ago, we spent an entire message on the word of God. And we use this word debar. If you remember the word debar, it goes all the way back to Genesis 1 when God said, and it was. The debar of God is the spoken word of God. Not that he speaks into our lives so that we can hear how good he is, but what is spoken becomes the debar of God. This is going back to Psalm 30, uh, 33, 1 through 9. This is a new song. This is a uh, spoken and it comes to be. It's a commanded word of God. Psalm 33, 1. I'm going to read most of this. It says, For the joy of the Lord, O you right, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise benefits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the Lord, for the word, of the Lord is upright and its work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord by the word. There it is again of the Lord. The heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in the storehouse. Let the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Hear the word of God. Here, the word of God is not a description. Oh, that's me talking now. <laughs> I just started talking. That's my notes. That's awesome. Here, we see the word of God is not a description, but it becomes the debar of God. I know I copied and pasted. That's not scripture. This That last line. <laughs> I get a little excited sometimes. <laughs> When he speaks, what is spoken comes, and that is why he cannot lie. That's copied and pasted from the Debar message when we talked about God cannot lie. That's fun. Hey, what's up? But the Debar of God is this prophetic aspect of the worship of God. Wow. Look at Psalm 96.1. It says, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Looking at more passages. Psalm 149.1. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. That's why in this place we get to come together and we want to sing a new song. That's why whenever I finish a song, sometimes I don't 
finish singing and we try to go into realms of new songs and and what we call prophetic praise and prophetic worship, trying to get off script and experiencing what the flow of the Holy Spirit or the heartbeat of God is in that time of worship. First Corinthians 14, 15 says, what am I to do while I pray with my spirit? But I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit but I will sing with my mind also this this going from the spirit into the or tongues into into con- consciousness. That's not the right into understanding. We've got to be in this place of expressive prophetic worship. Amen. So that point was prophetic. I missed the point number three. All of that was to describe spontaneous worship. We have prophetic worship. Worship is spontaneous. And then my fourth point, 139 of Psalm 23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. This is significant too. It's worship is a place of repentance and recommitment. I love that sometimes we we just struggle. I don't love that we struggle, but I love that when we enter into the presence of God through worship, sometimes our struggles just dissipate. They just go away. What we're dealing with, if it's sin, if it's just thoughts in our minds that tell us we're worthless, if it's if we've just strayed away and struggled throughout the week to have uh, encounters with God, that when we come into the corporate worship setting, somehow it's this place where we can easily just recommit our lives back to him. We can find a place of repentance. What an incredible encounter that we have, that when we enter into his presence, he doesn't see what we have done as a as a a deterrent. He doesn't withhold himself, but he desires that we come to him and find a place of repentance. He draws us in and then gives us an avenue to deal with our sin, to deal with our things without beating us up over us. I love Romans 8, 1. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Bible says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. He's such a good God when we enter into his presence that he allows us to deal with the weights that have separated us from his presence and just allows us to find that peace and that security. And moving on to our last point, 1 Kings 8, 6 through 11. Then the priests, this is before David is bringing the ark. We're going to go back to uh, establishing the ark in a, in another temple in the bef- before the temple is destroyed here and it says the priest brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord into its place in the inner sanctuary of the house and in the most holy place underneath the wings of the cherubim for the cherubim spread out their wings over a place of the ark and so that the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles and the poles were so long that the ends of the poles were seen from the holy place before the before the inner sanctuary. But they could not be seen from the outside, and they are there to this day. There is nothing in the ark except two tablets of the stone that Moses put there at Horeb, where the Lord made covenant with the people of Israel. And they came out of the land of Egypt. And when the priests came to the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord. This is actually after David's. Sorry. Uh, House of the Lord. So listen to this, verse 11. So the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. And I love that when we enter into worship, this invites the manifest presence 
of the Lord, the manifest presence of the Lord. We sing a song about the Shekinah glory, this manifest presence. When the uh, Israelites were wandering in the desert, there's a description of a cloud by day and a fire by night. This is the manifest presence of God. The manifest presence of God guides us. It directs our steps. It shows us where to go. The manifest presence of God delivers to us a message of the reality of who He is. It, it shows the, the coming together of heaven and earth. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we, we've got this word of come, kingdom of God, will of God be done on earth, just as it is in heaven. It's the colliding of this earth system with the perfect will of God as heaven manifests itself here on earth. It is where we encounter the true presence of God that is meant for man. It is this place that we've got to walk through these steps that I've described here where we we really, I believe, with all of my heart, we go from an expressive time in worship. It moves into this prophetic encounter of inspiration where the spontaneous flows. When the spontaneous flows and we're moved to a place of repentance and then commitment and then the manifest presence is demonstrated in the, this place. I believe these are stepping stones. I think they're they're potentially in order But I'm telling you that when we get outside of this trained expression of worship that says we have to do three songs and we have to start and stop and we have to finish and then we have to go to the next one and it has to be all the words on the screen and we have to lift our hands this way and it has to sound that way and it it has to go this way and it can't be more than 10 or 15 minutes and we have to make sure that we end the service on time and we have to make sure this is going this way and this can't be too loud and this can't be too soft and this has to blend a certain way and it can't be a minor key and I have to be able to sing it in my key and heaven forbid it be a song I've never heard before or a song I don't like. Listen, if it's about exalting the name of the King and if it's about finding an encounter with Him where His inspirational voice begins to sing through us and to us and then our our voices and our minds begin to hear the very Spirit of God and we begin to sing to Him in a voice and a song of unity that expresses beyond the words on a screen and we find this heartbeat of the presence of God and the voice of God for us and from us to Him to describe exactly where we are sitting in His presence and all of a sudden we find this inner part of worship that is instinctual that takes us beyond transcends us beyond the cares of this world and shows us that in worship we have found an encounter with heaven here on earth I'm telling you this morning He has that kind of worship in store for us we've got to get outside of ourselves, we've got to move beyond our preconceived ideas of what worship should look like, and we've got to engage to the heart of God. So I want us to move into a time of worship. Before we move in song, you see, I've never, I've described worship as inspirational. I've described worship with song. I've described worship with instrumentation. That's just a part of worship. We're going to get into that in the next several weeks. But this morning, I want us to find our voice. I want us to find our personal, instinctual expression in worship. 
Father God, we just love you. We want only you, Jesus. We ask this morning as we express ourselves to you. Lord, that we would find your heartbeat. We would hear your voice. Lord, we would recommit our lives to you and our purpose. Lord, we ask that your Shekinah, your manifest presence would be known in this place today. Lord, it wouldn't be just that we sensed your presence. Lord, I pray we would see your presence in this place. I sure hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. If it has blessed you, please click the subscribe, leave some feedback. Uh, should you want to contribute towards this ministry and all that we're doing in northeastern Oklahoma, feel free to go to our website, wlmiama.com. That's W-L-M-I-A-M-I.com. Click on the Give tab, and it'll walk you through some steps right there. God bless you, and until next time.